Hello, and welcome to the ParXL podcast. I'm Katherine Cloninger, Senior Director of Marketing at ParXL. And as your host, I'm excited to share that we have an extra special guest with us today, Dr. Chris Learn, Head of Cell and Gene Center of Excellence at ParXL, is here to discuss his participation at the recent Clinical Research in Crisis Virtual Summit hosted by the Society for Immunotherapy of Cancer and the implications for clinical research. So Chris, this event was literally a convening of the who's who in immuno-oncology, and the day was packed with insights and opinions from this group. What were your biggest takeaways from the discussion? Since you regularly discuss some of the issues in clinical research with this community, were there any surprising comments? Yes, ma'am. I think there were three key takeaways that I think were really eye-opening for the audience. One was that the current structure for resourcing at clinical sites has largely become infeasible, and very few people believe that we will go back to a setting where it was more functional. The second observation was to look at how the costing of these trials and the scope of these trials affect resources at clinical sites and what can be done to devise better and smarter and more conscientious protocols, especially in the cell and gene therapy space. And third was the aspect of how to come together and collaborate on these solutions. I think there was very little finger pointing during the day, but a greater need to understand how we can work together to solve these things because it's in the best interest of the clinical sites, the sponsors, and the vendors such as CROs to do so. Well, Chris, those are some really interesting insights. So what I'm hearing is oncology is essentially our greatest research opportunity and our greatest challenge, which also leads me to wonder, as an industry, what uncomfortable discussions do we need more of And really, what can we do as a CRO to make an impact here? Sure. I think if you want to break it down into the tough conversations to have, if you begin at the clinical sites, it has to begin with their operating model. How do they resource and staff and what are their expectations for what good can look like in terms of performance? From the sponsor standpoint, it has to be an element of scope and what do these protocols truly have to achieve with their primary endpoints versus the exploratory endpoints, which some clinicians say are what are crippling their sites in terms of workflows and performance. And then from the vendor side, we have to consider how to better support the operational models, both at the sites as well as at the sponsors, and what type of fiscal impacts that may have for them as well as for us. So you've mentioned sites, sponsors, and CROs. In your vision, what does true collaboration look like? Because there are so many calls to work together. Sure. It's a good point, Kat. I think the main issue for collaboration is for each group to have, and you heard this term throughout the day, some skin in the game. What is it that may not be a high return on investment for any individual group, but is for the greater good of the collective? And I think for the sites and for the sponsors and for the CROs, we really have to understand how we can work together where we are putting more equity and more capital behind what we're proposing to do. Only then 
will we be able to achieve the collective good? Because I think right now, the sites, the sponsors, the CROs were all driven by the bottom line. And the bottom line is beginning to upend the workflows in these uncertain times, great resignation, you know, the type of competitive staffing that is now going on through the industry, it's really become quite a challenge in all regards. So considering these comments on the state of collaboration, what are your predictions for the next three to five years if we're able to implement some of these? I think we're going to see different operational models. That's going to be quite key in regards to how we move forward. The operational models will have to be fit for purpose for each of the different organizations, whether it's the clinical sites or the sponsors or the CROs. But again, I think there has to be some level of collaboration in how those bottom lines come together and the work that is affected. And one of the themes that was the greatest risk on the day was simply for how the sites, if they do not have people to source into the delivery roles, are no longer going to be able to enroll patients. That is really a code red for the sponsors and for the CROs. So we're going to have to devise models and and fit-for-purpose solutions that really support across a continuum. So on this same theme, I believe that Warp Speed 2.0 was mentioned once or twice. Can you talk about Warp Speed 2.0 and how we can accelerate momentum as an industry? So one of the things that Dr. Peter Marks, who's the head of CBER at US FDA, has begun to champion is the opportunity for cell and gene therapies to take a more prominent role in the research landscape and the clinical development landscape. Warp speed, as many of us know, was the terminology used by the administration during the COVID pandemic in the United States to accelerate the development of vaccines and therapies for the treatment of SARS-CoV-2. Warp Speed 2.0 is going to be rebranded as potentially an accelerated platform for rare disease gene therapies and therapeutic solutions. So we feel very much akin to Dr. Marks and his sentiments about why rare disease is important and how cell and gene therapies can be used to leverage that going forward. That's great insight. You always have such thought-provoking comments after these conversations. I mean, this is such a rapidly evolving space, and I'm just wondering, what are you most hopeful about in the near term? I think it's the clinical outcomes progress. I think what we will see and what we must see is that for these patients that are being treated with cell and gene therapies are just therapies that are developed in a conventional way, investigationally, the outcomes are going to be substantially better than standard of care. And that is a call to action for us, not only as professionals, but as human beings to find ways to make this system work. Because for so many of our patients, these therapies are their lifeline. These were very important discussions. A lot is resting on the line, not only in how these sites and the sponsors and the CROs will be able to move forward from an organizational standpoint, but more importantly, patients' lives are on the line. If we're not able to enroll them, if we're not able to discern new and better therapies, then the chance of better clinical outcomes is not available to us. I think that is what we were all focused in on with that discussion that day. 
Thank you, Chris. I mean, cell and gene therapies are clearly the next frontier in clinical research and medicine. But as you have said, there are no easy answers. And this is a theme and a topic that we're going to continually revisit throughout our ParXL podcast series. So for our listeners, thank you for your time today. And we hope that you'll continually check out future episodes of the ParXL podcast. <music>